Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Education is a progressive discovery of our own ignorance. Will Durant. And then our second day out from Mammoth, that 30% precipitation, it came for us. And we're like, oh, this is, this is some serious snow. Like, and I started to get really nervous. And I was like, I think we should turn back while we still can. My hiking partner was like, it's only gonna be one day. Like we should just, we'll just wait it out, we'll be fine. And so, um, Cause she's like, you know, surely it can't snow forever. Famous last words. <laughs> it surely did snow forever. It snowed all the way to Sonora Pass. We were totally unprepared. We did not have enough food. It was zero visibility. The trail was impossible to find. It was like knee to thigh deep snow by the third day. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirtbags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a record setter who is closing in on 10,000 miles under their trail runners. Welcome to the John Freaking Your Pod, the first transgender person to Triple Crown, Cal Dobbs. How's it going, Cal? Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, and this is one of those rare instances where I, as the host, and you as the guest, we're in the same time zone. Mm-hmm, that's right. We probably would have been along uh, the PCT in general, but I'm lucky that I also live uh, in California, the best state, obviously. Yeah, I, lately I find myself coordinating with people who are 
you know, four hours, nine hours, eight hours, 17 hour different, you know, time zone differences. And it's, it gets, it gets to be a little complex to find a time that's going to work for both of us. We're both awake and alert. Right. Yeah. Well, the West coast, I mean, can't, can't beat it. The cool people live here. So, you know, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to say the West coast is the best coast, but uh, oops, there it is. I said it hard to beat, hard to beat a lot of, a lot of fun things out here. Not the least of which is the Pacific Crest Trail, which is like pretty much our backyard. That's right. That's right. Easy access. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I took a look at a couple of the episodes and I, I heard about the podcast from uh, my friend Twerk, who I know that you had as a guest. Oh, so, fantastic. Yes. You know, you know if, if Twerk and Legend and you have a lot of really cool folks on this podcast, so it's an, it's an honor to be here uh, as well. I try to have a lot of cool people on the podcast to offset my lack of coolness. So it kind of, <laughs> kind of balances out. Well, you had me fooled. So nice. Nice. Hey, I only ask because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that we do towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week. And that's where I will turn to you and I'll put you on the spot and I'll ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Sounds good. I don't know if I'd call it wisdom, but I've definitely had some, trial by fire moments on trail. I'm happy to always help prevent, you know, people from making the same mistakes I did. <laughs> I have a, well, I know you're going to ask about how I got into backpacking and I will say it was a very steep learning curve. So oh, always happy to share. That bodes well, that bodes well. Cause we all know that wisdom comes from experience and along with experience comes a lot of mistakes. And those are the best stories, right? That are the mistakes. So I, I can't wait to hear some of these mistakes. And I feel like if you're not making mistakes, you're not really trying, you know, you're not putting yourself out there and taking risks. So that's right. Well said. Hey, um, also, did you were able to pick up a trail name out there? I know you're a triple crowner. I have to imagine that you picked up a trail name because we, we try and go by trail names here on the podcast. Doc doesn't yeah. appear on my on my driver's license or my paycheck, um, <laughs> but but there it is anyway. So, Cal, have you picked up a trail name? Absolutely. And, you know, our trail names, I think they usually should represent something about us that maybe our given name doesn't. So my trail name is Starburst, uh, often confused with the candy. I actually don't like the candy. Fun fact, it is for a way, either better reason or worse reason, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> okay, well, what's the story behind the trail name? How'd you get Starburst? So I did a section in the Sierras um, a couple of summers ago, and I think probably most people can relate to the experience of wanting to come to the woods for some, um, you know, decompression time, reflection time, and a way to get in touch with your emotions in a way that the pace of everyday life doesn't necessarily allow for. So I often find myself experiencing my emotions very, uh, you know, thoroughly and deeply on trail. And I thought that I was all alone <laughs> on, uh, on that section in the Sierras that day. So I just, I just let it all out. You know, I was letting, letting all of the feelings, all the stress from the pandemic. This was in 2020. It, we were all real stressed, right? So I was just, I was just letting my stress out on trail, listening to some music, letting myself cry. And uh, I turned a corner and turns out I was not alone. And there were these three old guys just standing in the middle of the, of the trail, like bewildered, 
looking at me like they'd seen a ghost and I'm so embarrassed, you know? So I'm like wiping my eyes and I'm like smiling. I'm like, I'm okay, you know? And uh, they were like, we thought you were in trouble. And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. And I thought that they were gonna kind of make me feel, you know, stupid or guilty for being so vulnerable. Um, not to be judgmental, but they kind of seem like older, like military guys. And I'm like, they definitely aren't down with me crying. And they were so sweet. They were like, don't be embarrassed. You can cry around us. Like, this is my brother. His nickname is Waterworks. And he's like, it's true. And so I was just like, oh, this is like such a, like a safe, kind community that I walked into at one of my lowest moments. And uh, it, it felt really special. So I hiked with them for a bit. And um even though I had a, a trailing from the AT, it didn't really resonate too much with me. And so I told them that and they said, well, we're going to give you a trail name. And they came up with Starburst and they said, you know, we thought of Starburst because when we first saw you, you know, you looked at us and you had this big smile on your face. You're, all, you're also crying and just kind of exploding with emotion. So Starburst. But if you're embarrassed, you can tell people it's because you like the candy. And I was like, no, I think that's a pretty cool reason. I, I think I'm going to tell the truth about that name because I don't think people should be ashamed of emotions, especially on trail. Nice. And what a, what a nice surprise, you know, having these, these, I mean, we all have our, our preconceived notions, right? We have, mm-hmm. we have our background experiences and, and our former interactions with people. And so we kind of, we kind of, uh, you know, we have these little internal prejudices that we kind of stereotype and, and apply those to, to new people we meet. And so what a nice, nice surprise to meet up with these three older military type guys and have them so understanding and accepting and uh, inclusive. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'll say for sure, like being a, being a trans person on trail, being a non-binary person, I, I definitely like resonate with that experience of like people perceive you one way and it's not necessarily consistent with who you are. And really the most important thing is that we respond with curiosity and questions and we really get to know people. And then we do get those pleasant surprises of like, oh, like you're not what I expected. Like, that's really cool, you know? And uh, that was definitely what happened to me that day. And I think hopefully you know, as the first trans triple crowner and, and as a, you know, trans person just in my life in general, like I often find people are much more open-minded um, than you think they would be. And, and it's just awesome. Now, from the people that I've talked to, I, I've not done, a, I've not done a, you know, a Mexico to Canada hike. I haven't done an extremely long hike. I've done some, you know, triple digits, uh, which has been a lot of fun and, uh, you know, fantastic experience. But from the people I talk to, generally, they, they feel that, you know, they, the hiking, the long distance hiking community is a very accepting, positive, supporting type of community for the most part. I mean, there's, there, there's always outliers, but uh, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, has that been your experience? That's a great question. And I will say, I think that it's a, it's an incredibly diverse community in terms of, you know, personal histories, backgrounds, um, beliefs, and just sort of intentions on trail. Um, I know that when I, you know, I alluded to my, my steep learning curve, uh, learning how to be a through hiker, I would say one of my biggest challenges coming to the trail, starting off uh, with my first long distance hike, which was the Appalachian trail in 2018, Um, it was sort of learning the difficult lesson that not everyone is on the trail with the same intentions. Um, I wanted to through hike, um, 
or backpack more broadly uh, to challenge myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think that probably resonates with a lot of people's intentions in a through hike. Um, and I kind of assumed that everyone was out there for those reasons as well. Um, not that those are like the only uh, intentions or the even the best ones or whatever, people come out for all sorts of uh, reasons. And I think that's part of what makes the community so strong and special. I'm always learning from people. Um, but I also learned that you do have to be discerning in terms of who you give your time to, who you open up to, especially being of um, a vulnerable uh, demographic on trail, you know, whether I, I'm pretty much a hundred percent of the women that I've talked to on trail have had at least one sort of scary experience, uh, with, a, you know, typically like a male hiker. Um, I've had a couple of pretty frightening experiences with individuals. Um, so I think that's a lesson that I've had to learn, but what I've also learned is that I don't necessarily include those outliers in what I define as the hiking community. So while I think it's important for us to recognize that we all, we have to meet each other where we're at. Everyone comes to the trail with a different set of lived experiences, which are all, um, you know, we can all learn something from everybody. We also have to make sure that we're looking out for each other, we're protecting each other, um, that we're educating ourselves about, um, you know, different people in the community and that, um, yeah, that we, we recognize that our strength is in that diversity um, and not in sort of like pretending that it doesn't exist or, um, you know, like allowing people to get taken advantage of and whatnot. So yeah, I think generally I've had that's part of why I through hike is you hear oftentimes from through hikers, it restores our faith in humanity, you know, and that has absolutely been my experience, like pretty overwhelmingly on trail. Nice. One of the most amazing things that I consider, um, what I consider to be amazing out there is that the people are complete strangers out there. I mean, they come from all different walks of life, all, all different backgrounds, different ages. Mm -hmm. um, and within five minutes, they're usually more often than not, oversharing information about themselves. They're revealing stuff they don't talk about with their families. And uh, there's like this, just this whole bonding experience out there. Has, that, has it been your experience as well? Yeah. And I mean, I'll say even when you're, when you live in the woods long enough, you kind of forget how to comport yourself socially at all in any space. So certainly the adjustment period for me coming off the trail, I, I was kind of, cause I threw hiked last year as well. Um, so it's pretty much, it's been almost two years since I've been in a, in a social situation. And I, I went to a gathering of, of strangers the other weekend and I kind of went to the bathroom in the middle of it. And I'm like, am I weird? Like, do people not understand what I'm talking about? Cause I'm just sort of like doing that thing where you're like, Oh yeah, you know, we're all on the same page where we can share. We have all the time in the world. We can talk about anything. And, uh, I, while I know that that's not necessarily how the world works, I think that there's something to be said for, um, learning from that experience of being on trail and connecting so easily and seamlessly with people uh, without pretense. I think that being in the woods allows for a depth of connection with other people that is 
takes a long, a lot longer in regular life because, you know, you're not judging people based on what they're wearing. We're all wearing the same thing. You know, you're not judging, you don't know what job people had, what college they went to, you know, you don't know what social class they can, they come from. Um, you kind of just see them for who they are. Um, and I think that, sorry, my dog is, I was going to ask if we had a, a four-legged friend uh, with us. We do. And he actually is also a thru-hiker. So I just had to take this away from him. <laughs> the, the, um, the squeaky toy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to add on to that, that I think that um, the trail is such an important space or like nature more broadly is such an important space for uh, people who you know, like me, um, to be sort of away from uh, expectations that society puts on us. And, and that goes for everyone. You know, you're away from the expectations of having a job and um, having a consistent source of income, the expectations even of the people that you love to like, you know, hang out with them and talk to them. And all of these things can be really overwhelming sometimes. And it can be really overwhelming as a trans person to like navigate these constant, you know, um, expectations that society will put on you. And the, you know, through hiking has been imperative to my own understanding of myself and sort of like learning how to love, you know, connect to myself and connect to others in just like a very pure, genuine way where we have that interaction where we just see each other for who we are as people. And we're getting, we're getting very deep, very fast here. So I hope, I hope you'll allow me, allow me to, to, um, contribute, um, to this, this topic. I, you're, you're exactly right. Life is complicated. Life is complicated for me, a, a middle-aged white hetero guy. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I, I hadn't previously thought of this, that, that, you know, what life is even more complicated and challenging for someone who's trans out, you know, in society. And, you know, we, we've talked about on this podcast many times before that the trail is the, is the great equalizer trail doesn't care trail yeah. trail, you know, again, you're out there, you're all dressed the same. You're all, you're all packing pretty much the same gear. And, uh, it, it's, it's, it's about hiking. It's about, it's about that journey. And it also life is, is very much simplified on the trail, you know, exactly. gone are all of the distractions, all the appointments, all the, the social media and the devices and whatever else you've got a, a, a single-minded focus for the day, right? You're just going to, uh, you're going to hike, you're going to set up camp, you're going to eat, you're going to go to sleep and you're going to repeat until you get to the distance that you, you, you set for yourself. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's very much uh, a simplified way of living where all the complexities and expectations kind of fall away. And so I, you know, I want to thank you for, for pointing out to me, you know, the added complexities um, placed on you in society. Yeah. And, and something else that I think I'll say real quick that you reminded me of um, when you said, you know, the trail is the, the great equalizer. Something that I like to think about is like nature does not discriminate. Nature doesn't have prejudices. I started the PCT very early and I got caught in a blizzard in Yosemite. Nature's going to gonna kill me or it's going to kill you if it wants to one way or another. It does not care what you look like or doesn't care. what car you drive or any of that. So in that way, you know, nature doesn't discriminate. So why should we? Nice. All right. Hey, we're going to go to our first segment here. The Must Bring Gear Review. And that is the Must Bring Gear Review sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. 
If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Starburst, what is your must bring piece of gear out there? Well, um, you're either going to be really happy or really disappointed in my answer, but I thought about this and I actually think that my must bring piece of gear is my journal. Um, it may not seem essential to everyone. It may seem like a luxury item, but to me, it's absolutely essential in terms of my purpose being on trail. Um, I also have a horrible memory. So like my brain is like a sieve, like I will have a beautiful magical experience on trail. And if I don't write it down, it's just gone forever. Um, so for me, my journal is a really important place that I can like not only record my thoughts, but also organize my thoughts. Um, and I can kind of like, you know, reflect on them and remember them. And I mean, I've already started doing that. I literally have my PCT journal right here. It looks pretty much well, like it did the PCT. That's, that's, <laughs> um, been on, that's been through the ringer right there. Oh yeah. The, ooh, it's the bindings coming off of it, but that's like a journal well used, you know, like this, it may not look like much to the untrained eye, but anyone who's done a through hike knows that this is like chock full of all of the stories, the feelings, the moments that I, you know, they're just like little gold nuggets. They're like little gems basically. And if you don't write them down, you lose them. But because I write everything down in my journal, I get to like carry them around in my pocket and I get to have this like, you know, big sparkly jeweled crown that I, that I get to wear and carry around. And I, you know, love, I love that. And uh, so, yeah, for me, definitely my journal or it's just it's, woo, all gone. <laughs> now is, is the journal just used to help you recapture and remember what you were going through on trail or is there some other purpose for having those journals? Are you going to, are you going to take those journals and use that information for some other purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer has changed recently. I really mostly just recorded things for myself and because like I know myself and my brain and I know that it's like, doesn't work so great. Uh, so I need to write things down. Um, but over, over the last, um, couple of trails that I hiked, I had enough people, of course, be like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And, you know, I kind of was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I think it's been done. You know, other people have done it. You can read those books, but, um, I think that especially in the past year, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, you know, your narrative is one that I didn't see before either. I really admire you and I've learned a lot from you, or I see your story reflected back to me in a way that I've never seen another person's. Um, I'm also a teacher and we have this phrase in education uh, in terms of like how um, you deliver narratives to students and it's called windows and mirrors. So like kids need windows and mirrors to be able to grow and expand their possibilities of the self. So they need like windows into someone else's reality and mirrors to reflect back themselves uh, so they can see themselves. And so, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've kind of been thinking like, well, maybe I, maybe I should. It, it seems like egotistical at first. I'm like, oh, I'm not 
I'm going to write a book, you know, like who, who writes books, you know, who, but uh, now I feel like maybe it could be one of those windows into a different kind of experience for someone to learn from or a mirror to reflect something back that somebody really needs to see in the world. So maybe it'll be a book. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, one of the, one of the fears maybe of writing a book is do people want to listen to what I have to say? Will they, I mean, once, once I put this down and people read it, I mean, will they be, yeah, big deal or will they, will they embrace it? Will it resonate with people? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that I had that fear until this year, I've just gotten such a positive response. Um, you know, yes, definitely one huge thing that is unique about my narrative is like being a, an out visible, visibly like queer and trans person on these, um, you know, premier hiking trails with a lot of visibility. Um, and then the other thing is just that I do it, I do them with my dog, which I mean, my dog is the only dog that I saw on trail this year. So there's sort of a lot of very like niche, unique things about my triple crown that I think maybe haven't done before. Um, so Maybe people want to read about hiking with a cute dog. I'll tell you what, Cal, we get to the end of this interview tonight and I'll let you know whether or not I'm going to buy that book. Perfect. All All right. right. Deal. This is a pitch now. This is officially a pitch. This is a pitch. That's right. Bring your A game. Here we go. All right. You got it. Also, uh, I love the fact that you're a teacher. I'm also in education. I I was an English teacher. Now I'm a district administrator. Amazing. Um, What do you you teach? What level? I teach high school and then I coach cross country and track as well. Nice. And what, what's a uh, subject in high school? Social studies, social studies teacher and track and cross country coach. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And I remember it when I was a principal, I would, I would talk to teachers about windows and mirrors. We'd yes. be talking about, uh, you know, challenges that face us and, and how we, how we can make an impact in the classroom. And mm-hmm. they bring up a lot of issues and I would tell them, Hey, you're looking out the window at things that we can't control. Mm-hmm. Can't control where you can't control the home environment. Can't control, you know, how many parents are in the house. Can't control, you know, how much study time is available at home. And we have to start looking in the mirror. We have to look at, you know, how, you know, what can we do? How can I impact what's happening in the, in, in my classroom and mm-hmm. make a difference? So that 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 windows and mirrors. I mean, I, I love your your application in the classroom, and it really resonated with me. Absolutely, it's a great framework. Okay. It's the hiking pole. That's half calf, by the way. That's my daughter who was born and raised in Southern California, but she likes to pretend to be English occasionally. <laughs> so I have to record some intros for me, and uh, this is what I got. So, love it. Uh, half calf is reminding us it's now the hiking pole, and that's P O L L. It's a it's a survey, not the kind of thing you carry in your hand on the trail, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've got seven questions for you that's going to help me determine your level of sanity. Oh, All right. Man. And you have not seen these questions. You have no, no idea what I'm going to ask you. I have no idea. Are you nervous? I mean, I can tell you that I, my, my sanity is not, not great, but, uh, but that's what makes us fun and special and quirky. So <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Oh, it's absolutely a good thing. <laughs> we're it's hikers. Absolutely- of course we're crazy. Nobody yeah. walks across the country if you're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't spend my time talking to 100s here. I don't, I don't want to talk to completely sane people. It doesn't make for a good podcast. Right. It's being normal is boring, I think. Yeah, that's right. And you have to know that there's an automatic 20 point deduction for anybody who's completed any of the three American long trails. So the highest score you can get already is 80. And I should probably, I should probably take off more because you're a triple crowner, but I'm I'm just going to leave it at 80 is the top score for you. I would deserve it. Thank you for your grace. (laughs) Okay. 
All right. So seven questions. And this, since this is the first time we've talked to you, I'm going to ask you hiking type questions. Yeah, I do have a, another set of questions that I ask folks that have been on here multiple times because it's kind of like the big life question. So my hope is that, that, that Cal, this would be such a fun, ep, uh, fun episode for you and for me that you'll be back next season and we'll, we'll hear some more and we'll get to that second set of questions for you. Okay. Oh, I would love that. All right. Let's hear All it. All right. Question number one, easy one. Uh, and before I ask you the question, let me just give you a little background. There is no, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here, except whether or not I agree with you. Okay. So right. it's, it's strictly subjective on my part. So I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you don't, fair. you don't know me. You don't know me. I don't know you. I can't so it, it, yeah, That's right. It is what it is. Okay. All right. First question, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. If you want a backpack your whole life, you have to focus on preservation of those joints and you know, there's the quickest way to getting injured or burning out is trying to be a tough guy out there. It's a long haul. So always trekking poles. Okay. And when are they most helpful for you? This is a, a this isn't one of the seven questions, just a side question. I mean, definitely with what I just said, like preservation of your joints, it's whenever it's going to be the highest impact, which is usually downhill. Um, but also if you're lazy, like me uphill, they're also very helpful because you can sort of like distribute the weight using your arms and then your legs get a little bit of a break. So. Yeah. I tell people who, who aren't necessarily hikers, not necessarily hikers or they're first time hikers. And they think that trekking poles are, are they're, people are going to make fun of them because they look funny. I, I tell them it's like having, it's like having handrails when you're, mm-hmm. you're when you're, you're climbing the stairs. I mean, you, you're, you're pulling yourself up. It's, it's exactly. great. Exactly. Well, and I'll also say just like in terms of mechanics and physics, I told you I hike with my dog. He has no problem going up and down the hills. You know why? Because the weight's distributed with four points of contact. So if you have trekking poles, you also have four points of contact. It gets way easier. <laughs> That's why my dog runs faster me faster than me on my runs. That, that's that's the, the reason I'm going to use. Exactly. More legs. <laughs> okay. Second question, boots or trail runners? Always trail runners. And I can say that from a place of experience. Um, I started the CDT Southbound and Glacier National Park wearing boots because I was told it was my first, you know, it wasn't my first time backpacking, but it was my first time backpacking in the snow. And they were like, well, you don't want to get frostbite. So I was like, oh, okay, boots. And uh, I cried every day. They were so painful. They were so rigid. You know, your foot really expands when you're doing that much walking and they're just so inflexible. Um, if they get wet, they're never going to be dry ever again. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I can prove that you don't need them because on the PC, well, on the CDT in Colorado, I hit a bunch of snow late in the sea, uh, sort of early season snow in October. And then on the PCT heading northbound in the Sierras, I hit so much snow. We were actually the first hikers through the Sierras, me and my hiking partner. And, um, we were, both we were all wearing trail runners for that. And we were fine. <laughs> nice. I, I have, uh, appropriated, appropriated. I'm going to go with it. Appropriated a, a well-known phrase that, you know, mm-hmm. if, if the wife's not, if your wife's not happy, nobody's happy. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've taken that. If your feet aren't happy, you're not happy on the trail. There's, there's That's just right. no enjoying anything. If your mm-hmm. feet are barking all day long. Yes. Yeah. Makes it makes for a miserable, miserable trip. Oh yeah. Now those first two questions, pretty easy questions. You know, you would suffer some severe point deductions if you, if you went the other way 
Uh, you, you safely navigated those. So congratulations. Now it's going to get a little more interesting for you. All right. Okay. So when it comes to your shelter, are you tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? Well, I am very lazy. So ideally it would be cowboy camping. And as you know, in California, Southern California, if it's the right season, you'll be fine, you know? But I also hate mosquitoes more than anything. So I definitely need to take a tent. Um, the tent that I used on the PCT was the Gossamer Gear, the two. And um, I have to use at least a two-person tent because it's me and the dog. Um, and I loved it because it didn't have, uh, it didn't need a rain fly. It's just like one piece of fabric for the whole thing with a bathtub bottom and uh, the two-person tent. I forget exactly how much it weighed, but it, it wasn't more than a pound. So it's sort of like, even if you're, even if you use a tarp or a bivy or something, you're really, it's just going to be a couple of ounces, which I know matters to some people. It doesn't matter to me. I figure, well, if I'm carrying more weight, I just get stronger. That's all. <laughs> nice perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in where I'm located in Santa Clarita, there the last year or so, there's been these little invisible mosquitoes all year long. If I go on the back patio to watch a game out on the patio TV or, or barbecue, I'm coming back in with mosquito bites. It's, it's just been maddening. Yeah, all over. They said uh, when we hiked through Oregon this year, they said that it was the worst mosquito year on record. So lucky us. <laughs> yeah. You know, my last hike, I specifically put on my permit applications. I want the no mosquito trail. Right. Yeah. They, they well, if you find it, let me know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Um, fourth question. Sleeping system, sleeping bag or quilt? I say sleeping bag. I wouldn't have always answered that way. Uh, I did the whole CDT with an enlightened equipment quilt. And for me, just the fact that any part of it was open, I know some people will be like, well, if it was open, you weren't using it right. And that may be true, but um, I could just never get warm, especially my feet because you cinch it at the feet for most of them, maybe not all of them. Um, but it always let at least a little bit of cold air in. And I just, I could never get warm in the sub-zero temperatures that we hit in Colorado. So I vowed that I would get a sleeping bag and it would be a zero degree bag. And I used that the entire PCT and I have never slept better. Okay. <laughs> and that's and a mommy you, bag, so. Do you typically sleep well on the trail? I do actually. Yeah, I'm one of those people who sleeps way better in a tent than I do in a bed. Okay. Good for you. Now, always, I mean, my longest hike has been 10 days. So always the first two, three nights I'm tossing and turning. It takes me forever to fall mm -hmm. asleep, but then the longer I'm on the trail, the, the easier it is. So I can imagine on yeah. a, on one of the, on one of the, the three long trails in the U S I mean, you're out there for months, right? So mm -hmm. it must, it must, uh, you must get acclimated to that. You definitely do. And I got to say, nature is the best white noise machine, you know, just go true. right to sleep. <laughs> That's true. All right. Question number five, when it comes to food, are you stove, cold soak or stoveless? Mm, great question. I think a lot of these, the answers to these questions, they come from just experience, right? And they're going to be different for every person. So on the CDT, um, there are such long food carries and there are, um, 
there are towns where you resupply where it's really only a gas station if if that and uh it's just really depressing to have your resupply be all snickers bars i mean it sounds fun the first time but the the second and third it's just very disappointing it'll just ruin candy for you and so i uh I decided to mail myself some resupply boxes and uh, my mom actually helped dehydrate some meals for me. So on the CDT, I cooked and I ate so well. It was like these like home cooked dehydrated meals that my mom made. She's such an angel. And I loved that. And then on the PCT, my hiking partner is very much ultralight and she convinced me to go stoveless and cold soak. And I was, I complained all the time. I'm like cold rice again. Like, so I, I did it. I did it for the whole PCT, but I vowed never again. I'm going to cook, uh, every time after that. Um, and you you cold soaked, you cold soaked the entire PCT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you, Those you, should some kind of, you should have some kind of badge for that. There should be some, certain, you. <laughs> certain patch on your, on your pack. Holy smokes. Yeah. It really sucked. Especially like you, know, <laughs> you finish a day in the Sierras and you're at the end of the day, you don't even get a hot meal. Like, like your rice is just frozen. Oh, and our oatmeal in the mornings was frozen. We'd be like chipping away at it, you know, to try to like eat it before we start hiking. It was no fun. And I did actually notice sort of, um, like a demonstrable shift in my energy levels. I think I was actually really nutritionally deficient on the PCT um, as opposed to the CDT where I felt really strong. Um, And I think that it had to do with the fact that as soon as you start like, you know, sending your stove home, carrying only dry goods, it begins to limit what you have access to eating. Um, And then if you add dietary restrictions on top of that, you're kind of only having a couple things and it's a great way to get nutritionally deficient on trail. Yeah, this is this is a great example of why the explanation behind your answer is so important. Because if you had just said, well, I, I went, you know, I cold soaked the entire PCT, that would have been an automatic 40 point deduction. You would have lost major <laughs> points on that. But but you you said mm-hmm. even though you did that, you know, that's not your preference that you really suffered for having mm-hmm. done that. So that that you know it's not a it's not, it's not minus one. it's not minus 40 it's only minus you know a, a surprise amount. So Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Fin- uh pick one of these options. Life is better above or below the tree line. Mm, I'm going to say above. And the reason I'm going to say above is because as you know, I'm from California and just in the west in general, nature is really big. Like we're really used to like things being like wide open. We're used to seeing things. So I think even though, you know, people on the East coast are trained, like get below tree line, like that is like a reflex to them. Like in the white mountains are like, you have to get below right now. Cause there's lightning, there's thunder, there's, you know, inclement weather, you know, especially on, you know, in the whites or whatever. So they're like above tree line, you could die. But for us, you know, in California or Colorado, we're like, we'll hike all day to get above tree line just so we can just see how beautiful things are. And I think that for me, um, there's something deeply moving about being able to see how like large and like how vast and diverse the nature is around you. Like you can be hiking in the trees all day and then you pop above tree line and it's just like, this is what it feels like to be alive, you know? 
where I sort of don't get that feeling when I'm like hiking through Virginia in the green tunnel. And I'm just like, when is it going to end? You know, not that it's not beautiful. I think it's a, it is beautiful. It's just, it's just different, you know, it is different. And spoiler alert, there is only one right answer to that question. And you, you nailed it. It is life above the tree line is, is the best. So. <laughs> Thank you. See, right. Californians know. <laughs> That's right. We know. Question number seven, what's more important pack weight or luxury items? Mm, so I, I have a nuanced answer to this. So, so my answer is going to, of course, be, you, of, of course you do. I, do. <laughs> I have a lot of strong opinions. So my answer is that the answer depends on, um, what is going, what your priorities are in the experience. And I also think depending on the length of the height, it's of, of the hike rather, it's going to be the sustainability of the hike. So if you're only out for a week and you want to go fast, then pack weight, of course, because no matter how many things you take out of your pack and how uncomfortable you are, you know, you could go without a sleeping pad. If you wanted to, you could go without a tent, you could get eaten alive by mosquitoes, whatever. It's only seven days. You're not going to die. You're going to be fine. You know? Um, so if you want to go fast, if that's your priority, then be my guest, make the necessary sacrifices. Um, but for me, you know, I don't consider myself an ultra light hiker, but I do consider myself a lightweight hiker because I'm willing to make sacrifices on items that I might want, but I don't need, but I never get to the point of discomfort, like true discomfort, um, in terms of just shaving off so much weight that then I'm miserable. Cause if I'm miserable enough days in a row, I'm going home. Like <laughs> my friend that I hiked with put it very well. Um, there was a short section in Oregon that we were debating if we were just going to go around it because most hikers were going around it. And uh, he was like, this is the worst. I'm having like the worst day of my life on trail. I'm paying money to be here. No one's paying me to do this. I'm paying money. I'm on vacation. So why am I going to pay money to hate my life? That's stupid. Like, we're through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, one of the most beautiful, arguably the most beautiful nature in the world is along this trail. And I want to cry. So it's like, you're doing something wrong. If you are hating your life on a through hike, like, yes, obviously there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be tough moments and you cannot quit when it gets hard. But if you're down, like, there's a difference between having a tough day and just being unnecessarily miserable. Like there's a difference between a challenge and just being like unnecessarily unhappy. You've got to make a change, you know, or you're just not going to make it. So I would say luxury items to the point where it's sustainable for you. Okay. And that brings me to the question. This is like, this is not part of the hiking pool, just curiosity. What was your pack weight on the, on the PCT? You know, I couldn't tell you, I never, I don't have a scale at home, so I never ended up weighing it, but I can tell you that it was pretty light. It was very light. I, are we um, talking seven pounds? Are we talking 15 pounds? We're probably talking like 10 or 11. 10. Okay. I would say, cause again, I'm not ultra light. So I'm not down there in the six or seven pound range. Um, I carried a zero degree down hardware back uh, pat, uh sleeping bag so you know it can't be too light but then i have like an ultralight tent an ultralight checking pole tent mm -hmm. and um just like didn't really carry you know i had like a foam pad like the lightest foam pad so it's, it's that kind of stuff now, but then i carry my journal so you holes know. in your holes in your toothbrush handle 
no toothbrush handle or no toothbrush? What, where are you on that spectrum? <laughs> oh, no toothbrush. I would not want to hike with that person. <laughs> uh, That's a different trail okay. name altogether. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am not a toothbrush handle breaker, but I was convinced I was convinced to, to break it. So I did it. I did the thing. So <laughs> did the thing. all right. Hey, if I were to ask your friends to give you a score from zero to a hundred on the sanity scale, what, what, what do you think they'd score you at? You know, in terms of hiking sanity, like listening to your questions, I was thinking about what is the craziest answer to that? You know, like no tent, no toothbrush, no, you know, anything full blown misery all the time. Like that person, because the highest score is the most insane. Are we trying to be insane or does insanity get you a lower score? So ins- insanity is zero. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't be that person, but I'm also not like a section hiker who carries like a, you know, coffee cake in their food bag. I met a guy, he had a coffee cake for every day. I would love, to, I aspire to be that hiker, honestly. So, I mean, you know, I, I would say I would get maybe... 20, 20 points deduction for being a uh, triple crowner. I I would give myself a 65. I think I'm a little crazy, but I'm not the most crazy I've seen. And maybe 60, 65. Starburst. That's very optimistic. Let me do some quick (laughs) math here. See if, see if I agree. Oh, I carry carry the two. I'm going to divide by root of three. Uh (laughs) I'm going to multiply by pi and we're going to adjust for the altitude at the top of Mount Whitney. That's a little Uh side trip off of the PCT. And you come up with a, not a 65, but a 55. Okay. I'm a little, you know, I think in through hiking, being crazy is a badge of honor. So I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> get, get a patch, 55, put it on your backpack. All right. It was because of the cold stoking. I know that's why I went down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear about your origin story. We're going to hear some stories from your triple crown experiences. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. 
So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Cal Dobbs, a.k.a. Starburst. Actually, you know what? Starburst is pretty is better than maybe Supernova. So I, I think you got the better of that deal, Starburst. Thank it could have gone with Supernova, right? Same kind of concept. Yeah, there's lots of like celestial or like cosmic names, I feel like. But Yeah, okay. And we would really like to hear your origin story about, you know, where you grew up, um, what your background is, sports and hobbies as a kid. How did you get involved in the, in the thru-hiking cult? Because let's face it, any, any group organization that convinces you to be out at months at a time living in the dirt, it's got to be a cult. No, no judgment, just the truth. That is the truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I came to backpacking in general very late in my life. Um, I was fortunate enough. I've been an athlete my whole life. I've played, you know, all different sports. My main sport was distance running in both high school. And then I got recruited, uh, to run in college. So, you know, I was a distance runner all throughout college. And as I was approaching the end of my career as a college runner, Something I learned about myself as a runner is that the longer the distance of the event got, the better I performed. Um, so I always sort of had an inkling that endurance was going to be my my thing. That's and the so, opposite of me, by the way. Oh, yeah. I think most people, you know, <laughs> the shorter the run, the happier the person. <laughs> me, that's yeah, the longer. So that, that tells you how crazy I am. Um, and so, you know, I was, uh, in my senior year of college and applying for a bunch of teaching jobs and, uh, for spring break, my friend took me on my very first backpacking trip ever. I grew up in Los Angeles in a concrete jungle. I did not, you know, we were not a camping family. We were not a hiking family. We were a parent's work nine to five and maybe they'll take you to soccer practice, you know, like, um, and, uh, so I, I was very active my entire life, very athletic, but not in a very like organized sport sort of way, not in a nature sort of way. So it was my senior spring. Uh, my friend took me to the white mountains in New Hampshire for my first ever backpacking trip. Didn't have any gear, anything. He loaned me everything because, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to like it. I mean, you're like, right. It's a big, big investment, right? It's a big investment and it's a very, um, high sort of cost, uh, the cost is a cost prohibitive, um, activity, you know, that there's that barrier of entry because there's a lot of very specific, gear that you would need. You know, if you want to get into running, you buy running shoes, you don't like running or your walking shoes. So you don't lose anything, but backpacking, you know, you really have to make sure you like it before you invest that kind of time and money. So, uh, he brought me on my first ever backpacking trip, taught me everything about gear and how it works and, you know, tips and tricks. And we hiked up, I believe Franconia notch. And it was just one of my favorite days ever. And we were looking out on this lookout and he says, 
hey, look over there. It's the AT. I'm like, what's the AT? He goes, it's the Appalachian Trail. I was like, what's that? And he says, oh, it's a cross-country footpath where you walk 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine. And I say, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. We went straight back to, to school. I like rescinded all my job applications. He helped me figure out what gear I was going to need. Um, I read a bunch of books about through hiking. I did not read wild though. I'll have you know, that is not a book about through hiking. Anyway, that's my little wild rant. Um, so I like read a bunch of articles. I like reached out to the authors and like asked them for tips. And I kind of came into the experience feeling like, okay, I did my due diligence. I did all this research. Um, I have the gear that my friend recommended. I'm super prepared. Absolutely not. <laughs> the <laughs> only way that you can prepare for a backpacking trip of that magnitude is by backpacking. And that was the one ingredient that I did not have. So I hop on to the AT. I went northbound from Springer Mountain uh, north. And my start date was June 8th, which if you've done the AT, you know that is not an appropriate start date to go northbound. I should have gone southbound, but I didn't know that at the time. So, uh, so here I am, this you know, 21 year old, fresh out of college grad, college athlete, thinking I'm a hot shot. I'm like, oh, there's no hikers. That's cool. I'll just catch them. You know, like clearly, I'm super fast, right? Turns out being athletic ability does not translate to through hiking. You can have the least athletic person ever hop on and just kick a through hike in the ass and do amazing. And then you can have a college athlete like me hop on trail and just perform horribly. And so it was a really kind of painful growing experience for me. Um, you know, it was very emotionally challenging. There were no other through hikers around me when I started. So I was alone a lot, um, which isn't really something that I was used to. Um, I didn't grow up being like just sort of exploring nature by myself, like a lot of kids um, did. So I, I didn't feel comfortable in the woods. They were very scary to me. Um, just being, being totally honest. Like I, I didn't know what I should be, what noises I should be afraid of. I didn't know what to do. I, I remember um, about a week I had, I just crossed the border into Tennessee and there was a huge summer thunderstorm and I had actually never experienced a thunderstorm before. And I got so scared. I mean, if you're below tree line, there's no danger. You're just going to get a little wet, right? It sounds scary, but there's no real danger. But I didn't know that. So I just start running. I couldn't tell you why. I just started running down the trail and I slipped on a wet rock and I actually sprained my knee. So I had to get off trail, um, like right over that border in Tennessee. I went to a hostel in Hot Springs where they said I could stay until my knee healed you know, I was really upset. I, I was like, oh no, this is going to be the end of my through hike. But I was like secretly kind of relieved about it, you know? And, uh, but then I just, I called, a I called a friend at the time. Um, and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And he says, you know what? You absolutely can, because I know you and I know you can do this. But if at any point you feel like you're done and you want to come home, I will drive no matter where you are. I will come get you and I will bring you home with me. So if having 
um, an escape valve, having like a little, a little parachute makes you feel like you want to try again, knowing that you don't have to do this, but you absolutely can, then I will do that for you. And I said, okay, you know, I guess I have nothing to lose. And just knowing that I didn't have to do it, but that I could do it. And there were people who believed in me before I believed in myself that gave me the courage I needed to persevere. And I did. And I caught the bubble in, in Virginia. Um, and then a whole other host of challenges, uh, sort of, um, I was confronted with, and that gets to what I was saying about, um, the through hiking community where I was very, um, I was like overwhelmed with meeting all of these really sweet and cool and nice individuals with all these stories. But then I also met some sort of unsavory characters and they were the people sort of towards the back of the through hiker bubble, let's say the party crew. Um, but I didn't know that. Uh, I just thought that they were really nice. And so I kind of ended up craving human connection after being alone for so long. Like I craved it so much that I would just be friends with people who didn't really have the same intentions on trail that I did. So I would like want to hike 25 mile days. And then they'd be like, no, you know, hang out with us, you know, like we're going to go to town. I was like, we're just in town. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go again. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go with you, you know? And, uh, and it never felt good to me. And that's not because there's anything wrong with doing that. It's just, that's not who I am. You know, I like to push myself. So, um, yeah, I just, I learned a lot of really painful lessons. I learned a lot of things the hard way. And, uh, I actually encountered an individual on the AT who, um, ended up being kind of emotionally abusive towards me because we became really close. And then he started saying like, Oh, I'm running out of money. I'm going to have to go home. And I started being like, well, you know, I'll buy new shoes for you. Like you shouldn't have to go home. Like we're friends. I can, I can loan you money, you know? And of course I never saw that money again. And so then I, I sort of realized, oh, this, this person's actually not a very good person. And then I tried to leave and they, you know, followed me and it was a really kind of a dangerous situation. And so my experience on the AT actually ended up being pretty painful, a pretty painful introduction to, through hiking. But I am convinced that having that experience is part of the reason that I did complete my triple crown because I didn't intend to hike any trails after the AT. But after that experience, I said, you know what? I am positive that this is not all that this community has to offer me. This is not the only thing that this experience has to offer me. I know that I went to the AT to have a beautiful growing experience and I didn't get it in the way that I wanted. And I refuse to believe that this is all there is to hiking. So that's when I decided I'm going to go, I'm going to do the hardest trail, which is this of the three, which is the CDT. I said, I'm going to do this one. And I'm going to prove to myself that through hiking is awesome. Hikers are awesome. And that I'm awesome because I can do it. And I don't need to hang out with, or I don't need to like be around people and that like so much that I'd be willing to be around the wrong people, you know, and that's what I did. And I went and put a, put a pin in that for a second. We've covered a lot of ground right there. (laughs) I I have some, I have some follow-up questions. Number one, you, I want want to make sure you finished the AT, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You showed up with basically no backpacking experience and you finished the AT. That's right. 
That's quite an accomplishment. That, that, that is similar to Mr. Fabulous, mm-hmm. uh, Derek Lugo, a uh, New York City boy who had no hiking experience, but uh, had heard about the AT and decided he wanted to do it. And he showed up with all of his gear and he, he did it. Mm-hmm. And um, which brings me to another point. I love that you shared that moment of awareness, your first moment of awareness that things like this existed. There's, you know, these long distance, 2,200 mile plus trails out there. And I was going to say, you know, I was thinking about how to, how to phrase this. And I was going to say, you know, it, it you know, pretty much uh, the long, the, the, the people who have done those long trails, they all remember very clearly uh, that moment when they became first aware of, of their existence. I was going to say pretty uh, that, you know, for the most part, people, people remember that moment. And I was thinking everybody I've talked to who is a long distance through hiker who has done one of the American, uh, one of the three American long trails, um, every single one of them remembers that moment. I, I can't remember a, a, a guest on the podcast that I've talked to who says, Oh, I don't remember exactly when, when I became aware of this. I mean, they all had this specific moment in time where they're like, wait a second, there's a trail that goes from Mexico to Canada. And you can, you can walk on every step of it and it's, yeah. it doesn't involve highways. What, what are you talking about? And it just, it takes over, it takes over their brain and, and they obsess over it and then they, they eventually do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then also you mentioned about this friend who would be willing to pick you up wherever you were. And so you have this, you have this uh, kind of a, you know, parachute, right? You've got this escape hatch and if yeah. things get too bad. And then you also have somebody who believes in you. And mm-hmm. I was just s- struck by, you know what, that applies not just to hiking. If, and, and if, if we all have somebody who believes in us and we, we know that we've got uh, a way to save ourselves, mm-hmm. I mean, that applies to so many different aspects of life and leads to success in those, in those areas. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, before we get to the CDT, I want to go back and I want to talk another aspect of your origin story. You mentioned early on, I I mentioned in my intro that you're the first transgender person to do the Triple Crown. You mentioned uh, in the first segment about being non-binary. And so for our our listeners out there who maybe have a a varying degree of experience in this this category, in this topic, uh, I want you to explain to us what what is Mm -hmm. non-binary so everybody understands. And then... um, if you're willing, I would love to hear about, you know, when, when, how old were you? When did this occur to you that, you know, you're, you're different than most of your other friends? I mean, how, how, take us through that journey as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as I mentioned to you before, I really thank and thank you, appreciate and welcome these questions because, you know, we're both educators, right? And um, we realize the only way people can learn is by getting curious, you know? So asking questions, even if they're hard or awkward or whatever, is always better than not asking, right? So uh, I am a transgender non-binary person. My pronouns are they, he, um, and I, so just to explain what that is, um, transgender people, it's super simple. It's just anyone who identifies as a different gender than what they were assigned at birth, right? Um, and gender is a very complex, complex topic, right? And we can, we can get into that. But what that means specifically in the context of being non-binary is non-binary is like a blanket umbrella term to describe anyone who identifies as a gender that is not 
one of the binary genders, which is either male or female. And that's because we understand that gender is so much more like nuanced and complicated than just that. Um, it's even more, you know, sometimes uh, early on people would say like, oh, gender is a spectrum. And I think it's easy for people to understand that because nobody identifies as a hundred percent identifies with a hundred percent of the things that are maybe associated with a given gender, right? Like not every girl has the favorite color pink, even though we swaddle girl babies in pink and we swaddle boy babies in blue. Not every boy loves cars, even though like those are the toys you're given as a kid. Does that make you less of a boy or less of a man because you don't like cars or are you less of a woman because you hated playing with dolls? Like, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. So we understand that gender is complex and um, intricate and um instead of it being a spectrum where, you know, male and female are on opposing ends of a spectrum, those are just two genders among many. And you can visualize it as like, instead of a, a continuum, it's more like stars in the night sky, right? And one star is male and one star is female, but then there's a million other stars, right? And they're, they're all stars. They're just, they're all genders. And um, that can sound really like confusing and overwhelming to people who have never um, explored the topic of gender, but it's actually not that complicated. It's much more simple um, than you may think. And, and pronouns are much more simple than you may think. It's just um, ways that language hasn't you know, totally evolved to reflect the ways that different people um, identify with different elements of gender, right? Um, so I identify as non-binary because I didn't fully um, identify with the gender that I was like assigned at birth and assigned growing up. Um, and the way that I'm non-binary might look different for someone else who's non-binary. Um, and so that's just sort of like a blanket term for me. In terms of how did I know that I was non-binary, it's actually a really fun story for this spot, this podcast in particular, because I think that it's actually related to my hiking and to my like athletic history in general. A lot of my consciousness around my gender identity came from my experience as an athlete in athletic spaces. I played every sport growing up. And I usually played on co-ed teams. I went to sports camps, you know, in the summer. And usually I was the only quote unquote girl there. And I always got picked last for the team, but I was also always the best player, you know? So it's sort of like, I was like, come on guys, like just, you know, cause you think I'm a girl doesn't mean I'm not good at the sport. And so, um, you know, I just, I grew up playing a bunch of sports. I grew up primarily around boys and I always had kind of exclusively male friends. And I found that it was like so easy for me to talk to boys and be friends with boys. And I didn't have that many friends that were girls because I just found I didn't relate to their experience. I didn't relate to the things they were interested in or wanted to talk about. I I often found myself kind of feeling awkward in, you know, like at a birthday party that was maybe all girls and like 
didn't really know how to act, but it was just like, it was just so easy for me to be around boys. And it was just like, all my friends were always boys. And, you know, of course the classic being called like a tomboy or whatever. So I always connected a lot more strongly with my masculinity than I did with my femininity. Um, but I never really had, a, had the language to describe what I was feeling as a kid um, and growing up. So I just, you know, I just tried to be myself as best I could, but I didn't really understand why I felt so different from other, from other people. Um, but then in, uh, 2018, shortly after coming back, um, from the AT, I was really confused about a lot of stuff. And I started dating someone who was trans and that was the first person I had ever really gotten close to that I knew was transgender and I had a lot of questions too and he was really willing to answer all of my questions um he was really generous about that and everything that he said and explained about his experience being trans resonated with me and I was like that's funny I feel that way too haha <laughs> but I'm not trans right <laughs> you know and of course it took me a couple months and I was like, oh, this all resonates with me because I also am having those feelings and those experiences of just not fully connecting with the gender that I was assigned at birth, not feeling like that's authentically who I am inside. It's not, um, you know, there are things uh, like the way that I navigate in the world and the way that people perceive me when I, you know, as the gender that I was assigned, just, they make me, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It's like when you're, when you put on a pair of pants that don't fit and then you're just forced to walk around in them your whole life and you can't take them off. I mean, you kind of get used to it, but they never feel good, you know? So as soon as you hear someone telling you like, yeah, my pants, like they really didn't fit. I was super, they were really itchy and tight and uncomfortable. And I just, I got to take them off and get pants that fit. And it felt great. I was like, oh, I wish I could have that, you know? And, um, and yeah, that's what it, what it took for me to sort of come out to myself. And I found that being alone in nature, like I mentioned before, was also a really important element of my ability to understand my gender identity and experience my gender, um, in a way that was honest and true and authentic to me because being in the woods, you're away from all of the things that society projects onto you, expects of you, you know, like expects you to be and do and things like that. You know, I was, I got to be away from, you know, people looking at me weird or sort of like being uncomfortable around me and then me trying to like make them feel better by just like being who they wanted me to be. Um, and then through having that experience, both through being in the woods and, and the pandemic, I was able to articulate to myself and my loved ones and then to the world, you know, this is who I am and you just need to get used to it. So this yeah. was fairly recent. I mean, 2018, that's not, that's not that long ago. No, no. And it, it's how, how, how old are you? How old are you? How I'm old 25. are you? 25. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a common experience for a lot of trans people where you kind of figure it out late in life, but then you look mm. back at your whole childhood yeah. and you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, like 
I love it. I love it when my young guests refer to later in life and <laughs> you're, still, you're still, you're still a puff. You're, you're a baby. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tickling me. Yeah. Um, and just a clarification again to, to, you know, Mr. Uh, middle-aged white hetero guy over here, gender and uh, sexual preference, uh, who you, who, who you want for a partner in, in life. Those are, those yeah. are not the same things, right? I mean, you, you can Correct. be, you can be trans Mm-hmm. And you can prefer someone of the same uh, uh, sex uh, yeah. or, or, or opposite sex, correct? Well, I have a, I'll just quickly explain it just to, yeah. um, I have a good way of explaining it. And I, and I, yeah, guess I like, I like the pants metaphor. So maybe if you have another metaphor that, that works just as well, that'd be great. Oh, absolutely. Well, so just to do a little like term, like definitions. Yes. So gender identity is the gender that you identify as um and gender is any you know compilation of like the way that you uh dress the way that you present yourself to the world um the way that you feel inside um the you know who you are all of those things and that is completely separate and unrelated to let's say the genitals that the doctor sees when you're born, right? Like whatever's on your birth certificate, that's your like biological sex, but that's not the same as gender. Gender is everything that comes after that, right? Like the pink blankets that we give to girls, the dinosaurs we give to boys, all of these things that we like sort of gender. Um, Although I will just say like biological sex or whatever is also very nuanced. Like there are intersex people that is also much more diverse than what people think that it is so because I think very often we're like oh male or female and it's just like that's a myth as well so biological sex is like whatever the doctor says when they put that on your birth certificate gender is everything that comes afterwards that we sort of like um are sort of like trained to do right um or or taught rather um and then some of us don't identify with the gender that we were taught to be right. Um, so that's your gender identity is what the gender that you identify as, um, which might be different than the gender you were assigned at birth. Um, sexual orientation or like sexual preference is who you're attracted to. Right. So there's like the gender that you identify as for yourself and then the gender that you're attracted to, um, in terms of like, your romantic or your sexual orientation. So if you are like a a cis man, cis meaning that you identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth. So those things are the same, right? So cisgender, you identify as the gender you were assigned at birth. Transgender means you don't identify as the gender you assigned at birth. So let's say you're a cisgender man who is attracted to women you're straight, you're heterosexual, right? If you're a cisgender man who's attracted to men, you're homosexual. If you're a trans man and you're attracted to women exclusively, you're still, you're straight, you're straight as well. If you're a trans man who's attracted to men, then you're homosexual. So they're totally separate and unrelated. um, But they definitely do get like conflated sometimes where it's like, you know, there may be like a trans person and people are like, oh, you're trans, so you're gay. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Like if I like, like, you know, if if you meet someone who identifies as a trans man and they're only attracted to women, they're still straight. It doesn't matter if they're trans or not, you know? So 
that's Got just it. the way that I like to separate it is like what you identify as for yourself versus like who you're attracted to. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, people listening to this might get college credit for this. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it seems really like hard and scary. And it's like, oh, there's especially like, you know, I have parents too that are probably older than you are. And like, they're like, there's so much to learn. And I'm like, it's okay. It's not actually as hard as you think it is. Like, speaking of that, how, how did your parents, how did your parents accept this? That's such a great question. I feel so lucky and blessed that my I have the best parents in the world and they, of course, you know, they don't have like any understanding of any of this or any experience. Like they weren't taught any of this stuff and neither was I to be fair, um, but they're very open to learning. They do the thing that we talked about. Like they responded with curiosity, you know, they don't always ask the right questions, but at least they're asking questions cause they care. And um, ultimately, you know, they are doing their job as a parent, which is to love their kid and to want their kid to be happy. And I'm happier being myself than I've ever been in my life. And any good parent would, would support that. Right. Like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but like, my parents, like they see how happy I am. They see me following my dreams and they, they really want to try to learn as much as possible. So I feel really lucky, um, that they, are you you saying they believe in you and they've got your back? They sure do. Just like that friend on the AT, right? We talked about this. It applies to so many different aspects in life and I can see how happy you are. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it takes. And that's definitely not the response that I've gotten from a lot of other people, but having those two core people in my life, that makes all the difference. Okay. All right. Back to hiking. So we talked about the AT. Tell, tell us a little bit about your experience on the, on the CDT and the PCT. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm, betrayed. I know that's a, I know it's a very broad question, but you know, if, if you can pick out some low lights, some highlights, some uh oh moments, uh, mm-hmm. whatever yeah, you want to share here. The, the good, the meat of the good stories. Um, I was going to say, I, I feel like I'm betraying my home state because I wanted to save the best for last, you know, the PCT walk through my home state of California. But when all is said and done, I gotta be honest. My favorite trail was the CDT. <gasps> I know I'm not proud of it. I kept, I kept thinking things would be different, but my favorite trail was the CDT. And I will tell you why, um, kind of how we were talking about, about like big nature, like being deeply moving, sort of feeling like a very small organism among billions, you know, and, and sort of having a very like scary, but also calming the calming perspective of kind of knowing that you are, just a very tiny piece of this vast and beautiful world that you can never truly experience all of like that sort of like passion and hunger to see things and and be beautiful places that is how I felt every single day on the CDT and I saw just some of the most beautiful nature that I've ever seen and it's not just about like seeing it and getting pretty pictures but it's like about letting it change you fundamentally as a person. And I think that I like changed a lot on the CDT by being in those transformative spaces, like not being around people for like a week or more in some, at some times, like it was the most physically challenging of the trails, which is, you know, what it's notorious for. I would also say it's probably the most like 
environmentally, ecologically diverse of the trails. It's a very like technical hiking trail. It's like um, a lot of wayfinding in certain parts. And that was going from the AT to the CDT. I was just forced to face a lot of fears, like a lot of fears I was forced to face and I did it, you know, and I'm super proud of that achievement. So I feel like the CDT has a very special place in my heart of just like being the trail that chiseled me into the experienced hiker that I am now. So that by the time I hit the PCT, I was like, oh, okay, I got this, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah. So was the PCT, was the PCT easy compared to the CDT? I mean, do you, did you feel like you were the best prepared for that, that particular hike? Well, that is how I felt (laughs) and uh, I was wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. And, and, you know, it didn't help that everybody who knew me, they were like, ah, the PCT is going to be so easy for you. You know, you've done all this other stuff. And so I believed them, you know, I was like, yeah, PCT is going to be a cakewalk. Right. And, uh, it, it might've been if I had started at a reasonable time, but I started in March, which is very early. And then we like instantly started doing like 20 to 30 miles a day. So we, hit the Sierras early and how early we were at Kennedy Meadows South I believe April 2nd oh wow really early that is very early yeah and so we started with a very small brave group of folks we we just we went for it we just went straight in and um it, it wasn't so bad actually at first. It was sort of, there was this one little notch on the top of Forrester that was very icy and treacherous when we got there, but it was pretty small. We didn't have ice axes though. So we had to be very careful. Um, we did have micro spikes though. And then we slid, down, we just glissaded down the other side of Forrester. And when you looked out and you saw the whole, like the conditions in the Sierras, I was just like, I am not prepared for this. Like. I have no, like I did hit snow on the CDT, but not like this. Like it was just like the snow I got on the CDT was October, like October snow. Um, and it was, it was really cold, but it was manageable. And this was just a whole different animal. And I am from Southern California. So when would I have gotten experience hiking in those kinds of conditions? Like never. So we hiked into Lone Pine and they were like, you need an ice axe. And we were like, are you sure? And they're like, yes, you do. And so we're like, well, okay, there goes a hundred bucks. I guess I'll probably just be carrying this. We use that every extra, day. extra weight too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we use that every single day. Did we have to self-arrest? Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. It was, it was one of the scariest things that I've ever done. And then beyond that, we got to Mammoth and um, a couple hikers were behind us and they got to Mammoth too. And somebody was like, oh, you know, there's a storm coming in. Um, there's a 30% chance of precipitation this one day. And we're like, that's no problem. That's, we got this. So, you know, we just keep going. We hike out of Mammoth and we go, um, we get, descend into Tuolumne Meadows and there's no snow. And we're like, what were they talking about? It's like, it's sunny and it's not, there's no snow here. This is going to be so easy, such a breeze. And we're in Yosemite and that's so cool, you know, cause I'd never been. And then our second day out from Mammoth, that 30% precipitation, it came for us. And we're like, oh, 
this is, this is some serious snow. Like, and I started to get really nervous and I was like, I think we should turn back while we still can. My hiking partner was like, it's only going to be one day. Like we should just, we'll just wait it out. We'll be fine. And so, um, cause she's like, you know, surely it can't snow forever. Famous last words. <laughs> it surely did snow forever. It snowed all the way to Sonora Pass. We were totally unprepared. We did not have enough food. It was zero visibility. The trail was impossible to find. It was like knee to thigh deep snow by the third day. And it was all wayfinding. I actually ended up falling into a lake. And as you know, that could have, I could have died right there. Um, luckily I knew how to get out of it and I did, but that really rattled me. We did not stop to eat or take a snack all day, every day. We had a little bit for breakfast and a little bit for dinner because we were also rationing our food and we couldn't take a break from walking because we would have just frozen. And then we're also doing all the stream crossings. So to jump ahead, when we got to Sonora Pass, we actually ended up um, hiking on a different trail to let the snow melt for a week. And we both got a little bit of frostbite. So we could not feel our toes basically until we got to Washington on the PCT. Did you lose uh, any body parts? We didn't lose any, thank goodness. Okay. But we could, neither of us could feel our toes until we got to Washington wow. two and a half months later. That's when we regained feeling. Um, so that's, that's how serious it was there. And I am so proud of myself for the way that I did that because to this day, if I have a hard day, I'm like, hey, at least I'm not in the Sierras. You know that's what? Right. If I could do that, I can do anything. That's right. That's right. And that was such a big turning point for me where I just like, I proved to myself that I can do anything. And it was like the story I told about my friend is like everyone else in my life has always believed in me and they've seen who I am and what I can do. And I'm, I was the last one to the party, but the Sierras, they got me there. I believe them now. When someone says I can do something, I believe them. The rest of life is easy now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as you're not on the verge of death, You'll probably be okay. <laughs> right. That's what it was in the Sierras. Now, Cal, early on, we said that you were the first transgender triple crowner. Mm -hmm. how, how certain are you of that statement? So I did a lot of research to see, you know, ask around and see if there was anyone else who knew anyone. And I'm pretty well connected in the hiking community. Um, I think that a more accurate thing would say would be to say the first out transgender triple crowner, just to leave room in case there was anyone who came before or, um, you know, anyone who maybe like transitioned after they triple crowned. But I think what the most important thing is, is that if you can't name them, then functionally they don't exist. So if there is a trans person who triple crowned and you don't know their name, that tells you all you need to know. It tells you that as a community, there are not very many visibly out trans people triple crowning. I, um, I didn't mention this, but um, I used uh, Deuter Packs because Deuter was the only outdoor company that was willing to actually make an investment in a transgender hiker, in trans athletes. Like every June during Pride Month, every company wants to slap a pride flag and be like, we support people. But then when it comes down to it, 
you look at their, you know, sponsored athletes pages, their ambassador pages, there's not a single trans person I have thoroughly checked. And so, you know, Deuter was the only company that was willing to really put their money where their mouth was and, and stick up for trans athletes and invest in their being visibility. And that's because there wasn't any, and there was a, there's a need for visibility for queer and trans athletes in the outdoors, because if you can't name a single trans athlete or trans hiker, that that tells us all we need to know, you know? Well said and, and good for Deuter. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get to the end here, uh, let's talk about some of some of your your causes, some of the causes that are important to you. Absolutely. Um, so part of the reason that I wanted to come on the podcast and talk with you and why I want to be so vocal and public about this accomplishment. It's not because I think I'm so great or whatever, you know, it's because people need to see queer and trans people like visibly see us with their eyes doing like incredible things because we, we are, we exist, we've always existed. It's just that there hasn't been very much attention paid to our achievements, um, and to the things that we're doing. And so I think that very oftentimes it's hard to care about people that you can't see. Um, we know that, um, this year, 2022 is already the worst year for anti-trans legislation in America. Um, and a lot of those attacks center around the issue of trans people in sports. There have been over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills introduced across 41 states this year alone. So we need trans and queer visibility in these spaces now more than ever. Um, And I think that in doing that, it will not only inspire and galvanize other queer and trans people who maybe haven't felt safe in these spaces or felt totally welcome or felt understood. It will show them that they they have a community here. And then it will also call in the rest of the outdoor community to say, oh, I do care about these issues because one of my best friends is trans or queer. And, you know, oh, I I met that trans hiker on the PCT. Like, oh yeah, they were a badass. They went through the Sierras before anyone. Like, you know, we're not just, um, like there is a critic, it's, it's not like a niche thing. It's not like, oh, I don't have to care because, you know, that's maybe what, like 10 people. No, we're everywhere. Like, you know, as an educator that like there are trans students in states like Texas and Arkansas and North Carolina that aren't able to play on the sports teams that align with their gender and how, like, if you work with kids, you can't imagine how painful that would be to be, to know who you are inside and to have adults with power say, no, you're not. No, you can't. No, we know, you know, we know you better than you know yourself. Like that's not, you're not real. Like that is such a deeply painful experience. And this is a huge issue, whether people choose to see it or not. So just by me existing, I hope that, um, people will see that not only do we exist in these spaces, but we're also really good at what we do. Like, you know, like I am an expert hiker at this point, like we are out here and we are not just surviving in a world that is constantly, you know, trying to um, knock us down, but we're actually thriving. And that's my hope is that not just for members of the LGBTQ community, but like 
all members of the outdoor community will see that there are people who love you and will fight for you and protect you and um, that we were stronger when we're together. Well said. Do you want to say anything about um, the Trevor Project real quick? Yeah, I feel a great um, personal responsibility as a trans adult pursuing my dreams to pay it forward for youth, LGBTQ youth who, and support them in achieving their dreams, whatever that looks like uh, for them. And um, the best organization that I know that is facilitating that by providing resources and support and educational um, outreach stuff for uh, LGBTQ youth is the Trevor Project. So I am fundraising $7,000 for the 7,000 miles of the Great Western Loop. Um, you can find my fundraiser if you want to donate on my um, Instagram page, which is at Cal, C-A-L underscore hikes, H-I-K-E-S. Um, it's just the link in uh, on the page. Um, you can find the fundraiser there um, and yeah, pay it forward. Pay it forward. Fantastic. Cal, you know where we are right now? Where are we at? Oh, the insight, right? Insight of the week. That's right. That's right. Half calf. Well, we're at the pro tip inside of the week. You get to, to share some trail wisdom with us now. What do you have for us? Oh, man. Um, I would say the most. So I'll say two things. Uh, people often ask, like, what makes a successful through hike, right? Like, basically, most people who attempt a through hike quit. Um, and there's lots of good reasons for that and not good reasons. But the number one thing, the secret ingredient, if you will, that makes a successful through hike are two things, I think. And that is grit. Um, as an educator, you probably know Angela Duckworth. She talks about grit and the way that she defines grit as the grit scholar is it's not about talent. It's not about money. It's not about ability. All of that is irrelevant. It's about an individual's ability to persist when faced with adversity. So if you want a successful through hike, it's not about how fast you go. It's not about the gear you have on your back. None of that matters. What matters is that it's gonna get hard. And how are you going to respond to those challenges? Because I think that's a Rocky quote too, right? Like life isn't about how many punches you can throw. It's about how many times you can get punched and keep getting back up, right? Like, you know, for the Rocky fans, like that's grit. And so that is the number one ingredient in let's say like a successful through hike, because that's how you could do sort of what I did on the AT, which is like have no experience and still be able to finish your through hike. Like that was, it was hard. Do they, do they sell grit at uh, REI? And if yeah, so, how, how much per ounce? It's it's on aisle aisle eleven, I think. I think it's pretty expensive. So yeah, it's on it's on sale though. I think I saw some in the garage sale too, but it's used. It's yeah. not as gritty. Yeah, uh, used grit. Okay. Yeah. And then this is gonna sound really cheesy, but have have fun. You know, that's what I tell my students as a coach. Is like if you're not having fun, what are you doing? you know? And I think like we get so wed to the misery as through hikers that we forget that we're on vacation and we forget that they're called national scenic trails. 
They were built so you can see the sights that this beautiful country has to offer. Like, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I'm pretty sure that this is the best country there is. Like, there is nowhere with as much like diverse ecology and beautiful, kind people who are like willing to help you with the drop of a hat. Like, enjoy it. They're scenic trails, you know, they're not called misery trails. Well, I think we got really lucky because we, we got several pro tips there, all, all, all for the price of one. So thank, yeah. you, thank you so much on that. You bet. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Cal. I want to thank them for joining us this week. Cal, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I, I love hearing from people. That's what keeps me going. So on Instagram, as I mentioned, my handle is at Cal hikes or at Cal underscore hikes rather. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. It's also called Cal hikes for consistency. Uh, and I also have a TikTok. if you are interested in less hiking content and more like queer content or more educational resources about um, trans and non-binary issues. That's kind of what I focus on in my TikTok. And that is Cal underscore Dobbs. And let me make sure that that's actually what it is. Um, yeah, it's at Cal, C-A-L underscore Dobbs, D-O-B-B-S. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakymirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Starburst. I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, something uh, related to outdoor adventure that's going to keep our listeners connected to the trail. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us? So I listened to a, uh, an audiobook on trail called The Sun is a Compass um, that I really liked. It's The Sun is a Compass, a 4,000 mile journey um, into the Alaskan wilderness. And I really appreciated that as a through hiker because it was another sort of like just absolutely bonkers, insane type of journey, but it wasn't just hiking. Like there was a couple who, um, you know, they were like doing this journey at like the worst time of year. They had to canoe, they had to pack raft, they had to ski, they had to walk, they had to do all sorts of different things. And so like, as someone who exclusively walks on a trail, oh, they were bushwhacking too, by the way, there was no established trail. I was like, I was listening to this and I was like, how do you do that? Cause we had like just come out of the Sierras where like, I thought I was going to die sliding down like a face of snow. And they're like, yeah. And we skied down the glacier. And I was like, what <laughs> you're skiing down a glacier. And like the risk of avalanche is like very high. So that kind of like, that kind of planted some seeds for me that maybe when I'm sick of walking, maybe I'll try doing some canoeing trips or pack rafting or who knows what the future holds. You know, life in general is kind of a pick your own adventure type experience. I mean, so when you're, when you're done with, with the whole walking thing, I mean, the sun is a compass. That's a, that's a good one to, to try next. Absolutely. Okay. What have we not asked you? And so now we're at our final segment where you have the chance to uh, tell us something that I have not asked you about. This is, this is a, a maybe a, a Cal exclusive here. What did we miss? Hmm. I feel like you were pretty thorough 
I also definitely help with that because I have a lot of thoughts. And so I probably answered questions that you didn't ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the classic question that I get a lot is like, why do you do this? Um, but that could take an hour to answer. But I, that is, I always tell that to my students too. Like, uh, um, it always comes back to that as I always tell them, I don't care about the who, I don't care about the what or the when I care about the why and the how. So like, why do you care? Why do you do what you do? And like, how are you going to do these things or how did this happen or whatever? So yeah, I think with through hikers, that's the most interesting question for me is asking people like, why the heck are you doing this? Like, what a weird thing to do with your life, like to elect to do, just casually go on a death march across the country, you know? <laughs> so. what? And what's the short answer for Starburst? Why? No why on earth answer. do you do that? <laughs> um, we don't have another segment. So uh, when I say short answer, I mean short answer. Oh man, I think about this one. I think the short answer is I love it. I think the short answer is that I feel happiest when I get to the end of the day and I'm tired and I just fall asleep in the tent and I get to look up at the stars and I think I feel that any any day spent in the woods and any night spent in a tent is a day and night worth like well lived that is time well lived i've never felt like i wasted my time ever when i've been in nature okay way to keep it short and and very wise as well i like i like that sentiment thank so you that is a wrap from the john freaking mirror studio any shout outs to friends and family starburst oh always i mean none of this would be possible without support from friends and family um I think through hikers can relate to that. Even weekend backpackers, you know, you have a dog, a pet or a kid or something. It's like, okay, honey, like I'll be back. You couldn't do what you did unless someone was willing to support you and believe in you. Right. So definitely shout outs to my friends and family. Couldn't do this without you. Okay. And I just realized we didn't spend a single minute talking about your dog on the trail. And so that I means, know. that means you have to come back on a future oh. episode and I we'll guess explore, I have to. We'll explore that topic. Absolutely. I would love to. He deserves all the attention. He's the best hiker I know. Okay. And I told you earlier on that when we got to the end, I would let you know if I'd buy that book. Cal, I'd buy that book. You better Heck write it. Yeah. All right. I better get to writing. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you spent the better part of the day running from that thunderstorm in the green tunnel. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Words to live by. wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.